to the Serpent Temple podcast this week. It's a weekly review. We're going to be looking at free albums. The first one is a 70s classic by Wishbone Ash, entitled August, released in 1972. The second is the classic sludge album by Acid Bath called When the Kite String Pops, released in 1994. And the third is a recent release by the band Wormwitch, entitled Wolf Hex, released in 2021. So, Floyd, I would love to know what you thought of Wishbone Ash. Uh, no, they were great. It's uh, probably one of the cleanest albums I've ever listened to. Yeah. still amazes me how the production can be so good on such a, an album that's almost 50 years old. Um, and um, it was... I've uh, got some, uh, some facts here. Because it was engineered by Martin Birch, who went on to yeah. work with Maiden and Thin Lizzy, which I think is kind of fitting, considering that apparently... So I wasn't familiar with this band, but apparently they were one of the pioneers of the whole twin lead and twin lead guitars. Yeah, and all the, the harmonizing. Yeah, so it only makes sense that the engineer went on to work with Thin Lizzy and Iron Maiden, who are two other bands who are kind of synonymous with that kind of guitar playing. Um, but that was just really fucking like you could tell that each musician is like at the fucking expert. Yeah, experts at their craft. Yeah, I've heard that this album is described as uh, Wishbone Ash kind of doing the best version it's like the best captured version of their sound the way they wanted it to be heard so i think this is like one of the most um like respected the most celebrated wishbone ash albums of of the many they've released and the twin lead guitars like i didn't really know about i always loved this album but i didn't know about that being such a pioneering album for that yeah. it's definitely i mean nico mcbrain from maiden himself apparently has said like if you listen to early maiden that was a hundred percent the sound they were going for was like the wishbone ash sound yeah. of this album i think maybe carcass as well I feel like they really, they really do the twin lead harmonies thing. Oh like, yeah, yeah, so especially well. on like heartbreak. Yeah, no. I love that about their sound. And um, as usual, Michael Ackerfelt from Opeth. Like, this is an inter- gets everywhere, doesn't he? <laughs> Him and his so trilby funny. hat, not a trilby or uh, whatever hat he wears. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Ackerfelt on the trilby would be quite amusing though. <laughs> this is, as Shem described it, a Michael Ackerfeld Influences podcast. We're always accidentally finding <coughs> his influences. It's honestly completely unintentional. Yeah, it's um, who have we got on this album? So we've got Martin Turner on bass and vocals. So some of the bass work on this album is absolutely stunning. Yeah, uh, and vocal even the vocals are pretty well harmonized as well. They're gorgeous. A few, yeah, King will come. Really cool three part harmony there. Yeah, I think it might actually be a diminished um, fifth on the harmony. I'm not sure. I could be talking absolute bollocks, but this is a song I was talking about to you earlier yeah. because this song King will come. It sounds exactly like a ghost song. The riff is like a ghost riff, but then the production on the vocals is identical to how it would be on a ghost song, especially that earlier material, like Opus Eponymous. And yeah, like I'm pretty sure it's a first, third, and maybe a diminished fifth, so you get the tritone evil sound in. Like for a 1970s song, it sounds legit evil. It sounds really, really cool. I wonder if ghosts are influenced at all by Wishbone Ash. You'd probably... I think think they are. Judging... I dare anyone who disagrees with me, go listen to this song and... Give me a good reason why a Ghost wouldn't have been. Because if I was in Ghost, if I was Spice, I would literally just have shown the engineer that song and yeah. then like do that with the vocals and it would sound identical. But the thing is, I actually think the vocals, I am not super familiar with Ghost, but I think the vocals here sound much better than any vocals I've ever heard on a Ghost song. Shots fired. Um, no, I mean, oh. like, I'm, uh, <laughs> I think t- Tobias Forge. Oh, sorry, um, Papa 
emeritus, whoever the fuck he goes by. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be um, come across as podcast, but no. that is like the main attraction of their music. I, I actually think the vocals in Ghost are quite weak. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I think the harmonies, um, Ghost were inspired by the harmonics yeah. on that song. I do. I, I can see what you're saying. I do think the vocals on Wishbone Ash are gorgeous. Like his, his really beautiful use of distortion. There's actually loads of vocal variation between the songs. So like there's very considered, I think, um, placement of the songs at the beginning of the album. It's very like soft and happy and simple. And then it gets it builds up more and more. It becomes more kind of military where you get the kind of more medieval like kings and swords and things coming in, I think. Yeah, it's um, it seems like the second half of the album is where like kind of a lot of the medieval influences kind of creep in. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot, the uh, last track, Throw Down the Sword. Yeah, that's it starts with like a super long like fucking drum roll that i think lasts about like a minute but it's got kind of that marching medieval kind of feel to it and there's some like early like like there's a lot of like kind of folky guitar work on here which i think is like an early kind of like pro version of some of the more kind of folkier side of metal that you've heard whether it be uh i don't know actually i'm not even that familiar with folk metal i suppose fintro Big folk metal band, right? I guess. I don't I don't yeah. really listen to folk metal either, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna name drop I keep name dropping Agalock every week. <laughs> <Can> <laughs> <you> <laughs> stop. Yeah. But um yeah, Copper Clanny, I suppose. Copper Clanny. No, fucking them in there. What's that song they had again? Vodka? Um, yeah, like what was yeah. it? It's just literally to say vodka. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm just showing my fucking lack of education in regards to folk metal now. But to a good folk metal band I do like surfing. T H Y R F-I-N-G. It's more like, um, I, d- I detest the term Viking metal, but it's kind of a bit like a Viking sort of folk metal project. That's cool. Because I detest the term because I don't think Viking metal exists. I mean, Viking is like such a, it's not even an ethnic term, no. right? They were just fucking pirates before, like not in the Caribbean, basically. Yeah, and yeah. pirate metal is shit as well for that matter. Oh yeah, pirate metal officially done. Goodbye, oh, that's pirate dead metal. Now, yeah. <laughs> fuck, fuck that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We won't be covering that anytime soon. Um, a leaf and stream, though. I really like how that's between the King Will Come and Warrior because it's such a dreamy track. Yeah, it's so gorgeous. There's something. It reminds me of Carmen at times. Um, like there's some real like flamenco Carmen vibes as well. I wonder who influenced who, or if there even is influence. But I did yeah. feel that kind of stumpy. That was a really good track, and I think um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the placement of the track is like perfect because it's. It's largely, I mean, it pretty much is a fully acoustic number, that one, isn't it? Leaf and Stream. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So it's, but yeah, it's just so, everything is just so masterfully kind of composed and arranged. And it's like, when you hear, when I hear music like this, it just makes me think of, um, like, it's, you could, you could tell that they would be like the perfect session musicians. Yeah. They're just so good at their instruments that they're the sort of, people that would get hired to work with like these top top names and could just do fucking anything and would just fit any mold a lot of them have so a lot of them have, a few of them um one guy i think he worked with john lennon i forget <coughs> who but then also um so there was like a thing there's the bassist martin turner he did the majority of the lyrics and vocals and things like that um basically in 1980 their label were like you need to become more commercial yeah. This album, I think, got to number three in the UK charts. But Damn, that's by, good. Yeah, they, they yeah. had some like really big hits and stuff. But then by 1980, the label were like, okay, I, we want you to get a front man. So the rest of the band turned around to Martin and were like, yeah, we want to get a, a front man in. And Martin was like, I don't like that. 
So he left the band. He basically felt like he was forced out. So they tried to find a front man, didn't find a front man, got yeah. another guy in. But they had a series of vocalists um, who, I think one went on to form Uriah Heep yeah. with a bunch of other people from this band as well, potentially. Sorry if I'm wrong. I was late on Wikipedia last night. Um, but then there were a lot of other bands that people went on to. Finn Lizzy, I think um, there's a connection to Finn Lizzy as well. Um, yes, yeah, this, is, this is such a good fact i'm coming in here but um oh yeah is it jeffrey toll yeah it's funny because you mentioned jeffrey toll because i didn't look up any other sort of projects and the musicians have been in but like at times i definitely got reminded of jeffrey toll like yeah some like aqualung-esque style yeah segments. yeah there's some really gorgeous segments there was one segment which really reminded me of how akafel um constructs his vocals it's sometime world there's like more towards the end, like the guitars are like curling around the vocals. It's like smoke and oil. It's gorgeous. Um, and it's really dreamy. And the guitar work is like very, very complex, but also very joyful. Yeah. So it reminds me a lot of like that modern prog opeth. Like I can totally see Akafelt jamming to this yeah. shit. And it's kind of like, kind of like they're almost jamming at a lot of points as well. I feel like it's, mm. um, I feel like a lot of the songs have this structure where they've got like their, um, like the main body of the song, then there's like these extended parts, which I think is probably quite typical yeah. of 70s music, which is just like really like, I can just well done like solo in and sort of bass work. But like it's done in a way that it's not too disjointed or loose. Like it's still quite coherent and together. Yeah, I was, um, I was thinking the other day, like there's so much complex bass in prog. And it's really interesting how... I could be talking shit here, but like complex bass wasn't really valued as much in a lot of early metal. Yeah. I think it's like, it's still kind of the case. I think guitar was like the hero instrument. So people were like, oh, let's make the guitars really good. Yeah. And the bass is like, it's really in like tech death and some death metal, good bass is really important. Yeah. But I think with some black metal, maybe some other genres, you're like, oh, look at that fucking bassist. Yeah. Somewhere at home, Jason Newstead is fucking applauding. He's <laughs> being like, yeah, fucking, that's what I've been saying. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah. yeah. So, which album was it again that they completely eradicated the bass? Was it And Justice for All? Yeah. Um, but no, you're right, especially about the tech death point. Like, yeah. you can definitely tell. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those bassists were influenced by some of this earlier, kind of like um, 70s music. Because, um, like, even the band, like, Beyond Creation, mm. uh, Canadian uh, tech, tech death bands. And, like, it, you're absolutely right. Like, there's at times when the bass is as vocal as the guitar work. And and I think that it is more of a modern thing because there is a period where, you know, you couldn't name any fucking... Most people wouldn't be able to name many bassists of any of the big bands because they were seen as the forgotten members. It's true. It's really sad, you know. And I wonder, like... Um, I wonder if part of it has to do with, like, where the music's performed. Because if you look at pop and, like, disco and anything that's performed in a club, bass is, like, way more important than guitar, yeah. right? Well, hip hop, yeah. yeah. I mean, like it's all about the bass lines, apparently. Yeah. So I wasn't wasn't meaning to sing that Megan Trainer song there. <laughs> all about the bass. That bass. No. Yeah, no, like, um, and like, and just normal pop. I feel like the bass lines are really fucking good. You get like yeah. some really good complex bass work, really interesting bass tones. I feel like we kind of fucked up there. Yeah. Like metal. Sorry, guys. Don't mean to be be a negative yeah. Nancy, but I think we we need to catch up. Yeah. I think it's catching up now. I, I think, think so. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. So Teo is a really good bassist, and uh, it's not often that I drop some new metal 
oh. facts and knowledge on this thing, but Mudvayne's bassist is actually yeah. really good. Really? Yeah, Sick. forget his bloody name. Rhino. Is he called Rhino? Yeah. Oh, I wonder oh, how he feels it. about Wino. I want to... Ah, damn, it's at the tip of my tongue. I'm just going to waste time trying to remember it. Ryan. It's Ryan something. Well, that makes sense why his name's Rhino, because it's similar really to Ryan. Ah. Ryan Olivia, or Olivier? Olivier. Well, Ryan Oliver? Oh, so the Rhino Martini. makes... Ryan Martini. Martini. Okay, okay cool. Now, I got the first name right. Yeah. But yeah, like he was... Um, it's kind of like he was kind of doing the same thing Fieldy from Corton was doing. Yeah. But they were kind of like slap bass and like different like sort of techniques and stuff. So just kind of taking things from other genres which do place more prominence on bass mm. and infusing it into um, sort of the, the, the heavy music realm. I think that's why Skindred are really good live. Honestly, I, I think so. Because they use loads of sub bass and they do like, they use some seriously cool bass shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. The, it's like what I was saying last week when they'd done that, that, that fucking dubstep, yeah. like trap cover of that Slipknot song and people just losing their shit. <laughs> But um, yeah, I tell you who else is good bass lines is uh, the Streets, you know that Mike Skinner project. Oh, they're the one that they, they do. Uh, she's fit and she knows it. Yeah. Oh, that's such a. That's that's a I don't like that song, but 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 some of their <laughs> some of their songs have got some pretty like fat bass lines. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, there are some really good fat bass lines from like two thousands, like pop and yeah. and like stuff like that. I don't really know much about what the genres are called. Nah. Yeah. Same. But Wishbone Ash. Wishbone Ash. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic band. Um, really, really seminal. I think a lot of modern metal is actually inc- owes a lot to this album. Yeah, I think even just purely based on the direct influence on Iron Maiden, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like Iron Maiden is seen as one of those sort of um, heritage bands along with Sabbath and Priest. So, um, yeah, I think just the fact that... It, was it was it you say it was Nico that mentioned they were an influence? I think it was Nico. I don't know. I don't really care for Iron Maiden very much, but I, I vaguely remember reading it was. I, I, I don't remember reading it was Steve Harris, but maybe I, it might, was might Steve Harris. Wrong. Yeah. Who, who were, yeah. yeah, I know he's the drummer. I actually know that, which is surprising. <coughs> yeah, he has a face that looks like a brain. It's interesting. But <laughs> you think it does actually kind of have? Maybe I should. Yeah, it's kind of got that, that icky pop kind of Gordon yeah. Ramsay. It's uh, yeah. Sean Locke, who recently just died. You know, the comedian. I've, I love yeah, I love Sean Locke. Yeah. He he said that he'd done a great diss on Gordon Ramsay once. <laughs> <laughs> he said his face looks like crackling. <laughs> <laughs> and that, if he closed his eyes, then it would look like a walnut wearing a chef's hat. I was just like, it's true. It's the right color as well. Yeah, but... Rich people legit are that color. Yeah. Do you think it's a bit weird they have the same texture and color as a walnut? It's like a smooth walnut. It's so weird. You want to like reach out and touch them, and like, is that a beauty filter you're walking around with? Like, what is going on there? Oh God. Oh, to be rich and walnut texture. Walnut esque. Walnut esque. Yes. Yeah. But no, it's uh, this is another gem from the seventies, and I think just um, it's one of those instances where you could tell that everybody uh, involved is just um, adding an integral component yeah. to the music. Like you've got Andy Powell, Ted Turner on guitars, Steve Upton. The the drums are amazing. Like there's oh. some absolutely fantastic like variation with the drums, some great cymbals, some great crash work. There's one track. Um, it's Warrior, so it's got a lot of like crashing cymbals and just really like furious drum work. And he knows to dial it back when he needs to dial it back. You know, it's always a sign of a good drummer when they don't overplay. Um, and they, they definitely, there's no overplaying from anyone on this album. Like, none yeah. of it comes across as wanky, which is something that can be quite typical, I feel like, of music. I feel like that prog as well, it has a bad reputation for that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. But no, I don't think there's any wasted kind of motion or 
or notes here. I think there's no note out of place or out of time. Everything just seems it's gorgeous. Needed. Everything just seems so perfectly placed. Yeah, I was reading that this was released on vinyl in 72, but it didn't have another physical release until 2002, where it was oh, no released way. on CD. God damn. Yeah. Yeah, because the one I listened to on um, Spotify was some extended edition version. that had like some live tracks. So I didn't bother to listen to them because mm. listen to the actual, uh, just the. Uh, the um the album tracks but um but no it was um i think it might be in a remastered edition as well because... uh, yeah. so, so that's the version that was released in 2002 on cd so it's yeah. remastered and they they fused it with an ep that they released i think a similar year where it was live in memphis yeah so you've got those i think three tracks from memphis at the end his voice is kind of blown out on those tracks and there's a bit of feedback yeah as well but it is actually still really good yeah 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 that's always the problem I find with live albums, to be honest, was I feel like it's, you know, I like live music and watching it, but if I don't necessarily want to listen to a live album, like mm. I'll just listen to the, how it was intended to sound on record. And don't get me wrong, there's some good live albums, but it's, um, I just realized I'm saying this, realizing you guys released no, a live. it's not the same. It's not the same, because that's, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So like what you done was completely cool and I think and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> But, you know, when it's just like when you listen to just like a standard set list of live tracks, yeah. it's, you know, that doesn't appeal to me. If it was a live video, then that's different. I could mm. get the enjoyment out of that. But in CD format, it's I don't really think people tend to do it as much. It's not anymore. as common. I think no. it was more common back in the day where I think labels were like, OK, we have to have a release. We've got to do something. Here's an easy thing we can do. Yeah. 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 I do find it interesting personally I, I don't always i'm not usually interested in live albums but i did find it interesting to listen to this and be like how did they do it live yeah and like you know how does his voice sound how are they doing all the instruments I, sometimes i will be like i wonder how they do sound live because <coughs> like a band like opeth always sound identical live yeah. there's no fucking point I, I do like i used to have opeth bootlegs which i really enjoyed because Ackerfelt would have like really funny bits that he'd do between songs oh it's stage band is quite good it's really yeah, funny yeah. So i do like hearing stage band but I, now i fucking hate stage banter i'm like yeah. why are you talking to me play your fucking music like <laughs> it really depends who it is i guess yeah, yeah it's um yeah who is it that's got the most I, I fucking probably mentioned this before on the podcast but george fucking corpse grinder from cannibal corpse says the same shit all the time <laughs> like he's always come out with the same fucking he, it's probably been a good 20 years where he hasn't changed no a single aspect of his like he'll be like oh you know your girlfriend's not here to see you she's here to see me and just like this one goes out to all the women i come blood and yeah that's, a, <laughs> that's cannibal cops for you you know they're, they're a product of their time they're still in their time it seems yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy because most of them are vegetarians now <laughs> i think well the drummer is anyway um Paul, um, I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce his surname, but it's, um, but yeah, they're they're a strange band, especially because he's super into like um, Warcraft as well, isn't he? So he's like oh, yeah. he's like a straight up nerd, and he loves like Disney and Lego and shit. That's so it's cute. That video of him going into Walmart and buying loads of Disney for his kids and stuff. Aww. So it's so odd that the members are quite a wholesome group, apart yeah. from the um, matey boy that was imprisoned. <laughs> <laughs> I keep Pat guns O'Brien. in my house for murder, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> was it, it was Pat O'Brien, that was it, yeah. It's uh it's funny though, because that's like they actually photoshopped some fake song titles in they there. They did, they were really yeah. funny. Yeah. But it was funny though, so I I, yeah. I want to believe they're real just because it's just amusing that that guy did that stuff. As long as no one died or got hurt, I guess. 
But no, so it's, um, I think I'm going to go and explore some more Wishbone Ash because I was really impressed with this album. I really like the album that came out mm. before this one. I think it was 71. I think it's called Pilgrim or Pilgrimage. I think it's Pilgrim. I'm just getting confused with Ohm. Cool. It's really good. It's a bit more upbeat, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I definitely want to check them out because I think um, I remember mentioning when you first mentioned them about doing this album or reviewing it. And because um, I'm pretty sure my dad was into Wishbone Ash. And um, I feel like um, King Will Come was quite a familiar sounding yeah. track. Like, there was aspects of the album where I was pretty sure I'd heard or there was some fucking some part of my brain that recognized it but um but no it's great and it's one of the i think in my opinion one of the more complete sounding like rock albums i've ever heard like it's such a complete and just fucking almost flawless album i could see why it was so lauded and i think i remember reading it one um i can't remember which publication it was but it was voted album of the year Mm. by some esteemed publication at the time i think it was rolling stone i don't yeah i don't think it was rolling stone it might have been louder something uh, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, they did, did get lauded. Yeah, yeah. but um, and I can totally understand why. I mean, it's just really fucking, just pristine and really clean and really enjoyable music. And I love the whole kind of medieval kind of flair it's got going on. Like it's yeah. got that kind of folky aspect to it, which I really dig. Um, but yeah, just really super impressed. And I will check out their discography when I get the chance. Awesome. Yeah, I think if anyone is curious about like where metal comes from. Or like how metal came to sound, how it does, and certain certain really seminal bands like Metallica, like Opeth, Dream Theater, Carcass, those bands. Um, listen to this album, even just the second half, and see if you can find that, like how you feel about it. Because I always find it fascinating. It's like <coughs> archaeology to me. It's like looking yeah. at um, like a dinosaur and being like, oh, that's what chickens are, you know? Yeah. Not that metal's a chicken compared to a like velociraptor or shit, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Um, no, no, totally, totally. And it's like, because um, what was that one track I used to hear that was considered to be like the first heavy metal track? Is that, you know, that Iron Butterfly song in the Gather DeVito? Uh, we were literally listening to that the other day. It was originally yeah. 17 minutes long. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Was it 17 minutes? I knew it was originally like super long. I didn't know it was that long. Yeah. That's hilarious. They had to cut it down for radio. It's a really good song. I love how it's in the, in the Simpsons. Oh, when they're in church, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that was that scene. the first time I heard, and I was like, "Damn, this is sick." <laughs> yeah, that was cool. <laughs> That's probably what made me into a metalhead, huh? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's funny how music can do that. How you can hear something, and like my mum, who never listens to really listens to much music for a long time. I was playing Black Sabbath one day, and she walked in, and she was like, "I saw them live in the '60s." Oh wow! Yeah, I was like, "Wow." Like, that's pretty cool. It's funny. My mum also says that. Says, says that. Says she also says that. But she didn't watch Black Sabbath. She watched Deep Purple. No. But way. she keeps getting confused and thinking it was Black Sabbath. But yeah, she <laughs> saw Deep Purple. Deep Purple. Yes, <laughs> that is the crossover event <laughs> I want to see. Oh God. <laughs> Deep Purple. She saw them in their prime with like um, Ian Gillen and stuff, and it was. Uh, that would have been wild because um, my dad was a big Deep Purple fan and I dig some of their stuff, actually. It's pretty good. I really like Deep Purple. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. One of the best vocalists, in my opinion. Oh, fantastic. Like, Highway yeah. Star is such a performance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. So, shall we move on to something completely different? Yeah. Well, fucking, you can say that again. It is definitely the other end of the spectrum of all music. Um, it is Acid Baths, When the Kite String Pops, released in 1994 when I was two years old. It was yeah. So it was a day after my sixth birthday. No way. Yeah, August oh. the eighth. It was released. 
Damn, that's a, a date. Yeah, and I wasn't listening to this at the time. I think I would have been fucking We'd be very traumatized <laughs> if I listened to this as a six-year-old. We'd be doing drugs and dead yeah. if we listened to this at that age. Yeah, this is a really interesting album. Um, again, I think this is like a really influential album on a lot of uh, bands. The So Acid Bath are like really extreme. And they're, they're definitely also a product of their time in that it was like around the time of Marilyn Manson and when Nine Inch Nails were at their like most angry and they would intentionally being really um, provocative. Yeah. And the lyrics are very pro provocative. The artwork is literally a painting by John Wayne Gacy. who yeah. was named the Skull Clown. Yeah. Um, where Pogo he the Clown, wasn't he? At all? Yeah. yeah, he depicts himself as his alter ego, Pogo the Clown. The balloons contain his nickname and his real name. So he was a, a convicted sex offender and murderer. Um, and this caused controversy, which is funny because now everyone wouldn't bat a eyelid. But back then it was a real big deal. And they did the same on the second album. They called it Pagan Terrorism Tactics. And they had um, artwork by a euthanasia campaigner on it yeah. as well. It's um, Yeah, it's funny how it, it, it actually just... What popped in my head there is um, that story. Did you hear about the kid that's suing? Um, was, yeah, he was the, the baby on the Nevermind cover and yeah. he's now suing them. For, for sexual exploitation because there's money on the album cover. So it looks like uh, the baby is being solicited for sexual services. Yeah, and it's just kind of wild, isn't it? It's pretty wild. I think probably a lawyer just went up to him and was like, hey, do you want some money? I can do this for you. I think so, because um, yeah. I don't want to be presumptuous here, but I remember reading an article where he was interviewed. This was maybe about 15 years ago. Mm. So I think he was also on the cover of a Beck album. No way. And I remember at the time thinking of him being quite proud of the fact that he was featured on album covers. Didn't he get a tattoo of it on his arm of the Nirvana baby Did album he? cover? I feel like he might. Don't know, but, maybe um, that's just the other side being like, oh, yeah, but but yeah, he didn't seem to mind back then. But, I'm but then again, he would have been he would have still been quite young back then because I think he's only turning thirty now. So damn, that's so weird. Nirvana baby's thirty. <laughs> that's one of those facts to make you feel old, isn't it? Ah, yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, no, yeah, it's oh, but yeah, back to um, Acid Bath. Um, I fucking love this album. Um, and you're right, it's like it's funny because like the album cover wouldn't like no one would fucking bat an eyelid now. And it's funny because how serial killers and stuff have almost been kind of romanticized a bit. Yeah. You know, especially with the whole Ted Bundy thing. Everyone's like, oh and being handsome and stuff. It's not handsome. But um the zero out of ten. The other thing I was gonna mention as well was do you remember the whole thing that was kind of sweeping the nation a few years back with with people dressing up like clowns and Kind of like trolling people by being on the street and just kind of fucking with people yeah. by just staring at them. Yeah, that's probably from this guy. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. It's probably inspired by John Wayne Gacy. Mm. Yeah, it's, so. it is like, I don't, I'm not scared of clowns, but I totally see why people are. I'm not scared of clowns, but I'm scared of pedo murderer clowns. I am scared of those two. Yeah. Specifically those kind, yeah. And Eva Orr as well. It's just fucking like a really clever way of <coughs> getting into those spaces. I've always thought a really fantastic way to be a murderer would be to, to be an ice cream man. Yeah. Because you could very easily just poison your supply and then slowly like cold kill. Soft kill, is that what it's called? Where you like slowly kill everyone around you and no one can trace it back to you. Because you're like an ice cream man, you're on the run, you're driving around. Who knows? It's the ice cream man, you know? Well, you can argue because you're selling ice cream, but you're slowly killing the kids anyway for terrible diet. Diabetes, yeah, putting exactly. the dye in diabetes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that's terrible. Oh, God. Well, so back to, should we stop covering there? <laughs> let's let's the actually album. cover music. We can, yeah. We're not terrible at that. So we got, so 
the band consists of we've got Dax Riggs on vocals, who uh, you're quite familiar with some of I his other stuff. Adore Dax Riggs. He has a thousand side projects. Um, I will read some of them for you now. He is um, he was in a punk band, who was called Golgotha, I believe. Um, also, Agents of Oblivion, beautiful. Actually, Corruption, I think, might have been <coughs> the, the punk band. Daisy Head and the Moon Crickets, um, Dead Boy and the Elephant Men, and he still technically is listed as being active with his solo stuff, just Dax Riggs, but he hasn't released anything officially for a while. Cool. But it is fucking gorgeous. All of his side projects, they're all worth checking out, especially Agents of Oblivion, Dead Boy and the Elephant Men, and just his solo stuff in general. Fantastic. Yeah, I would yeah. definitely check them out at some point. Then Golgotha, that was a precursor to Acid Bath, though, yeah, I think. And yeah, most of them were in Golgotha, yeah. yeah. You've got Sammy Pierre Duet on guitars and backing vocals, also the founder of Goat Whore, another band I'm still in Goat fond Hall. of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're still going. Um, I think he uh, recorded a few albums with Crowbar as well. He also has played with I Hate God Live as well. Doesn't surprise me. He seems quite entrenched in a uh, bit of a figurehead in the Nola scene. Yeah. Uh, you got Mike Sanchez on guitars as well. And then the tragic, the late Audi Pitre. Mm. So he unfortunately died from a car crash and his parents were in the car as well, right? That's why from Acid a, a Head-on collision. Yeah. yeah. That's really tragic because they yeah. were so... I would have loved to hear what they would have done if they continued as a band. It would have been yeah. incredible. I think it would have been amazing. And just yeah. to close off, you've got Jimmy Kyle on drums. The drum on this album, I love. But um, I just want to say quickly, I feel like the thin, just to add to your point you just made, um, I feel like this album is quite influential to a lot of the new metal acts that oh, yeah, kind of came around around the turn of the... There's exactly. parts of this album where I hear a lot of Darren Malakian from System of a Down, mm. some, some of the vocal phrasing and stuff. like The phrasing I, is so interesting on this album. Yeah. Corey Taylor from Slipknot, I could tell he was probably somewhat influenced by this album. Manson, Marilyn Manson. Manson. 100%. Corey Taylor was actually almost scouted to be part of a reunion no for Acid way. Buff. They were going to reform it. Um, I think Jimmy Kyle wanted to, it was, it was Sans Dax Riggs, and they were thinking of tapping up it's Corey Taylor. It's got to have Dax Riggs, man. You can't yeah. do it about Dax Riggs. It, it didn't come to fruition, but yeah, so that if, he was considered as a, as a replacement. I feel like a good vocalist to replace Dax Riggs if you had to would be the uh, Mike Patton, I think. I mean, that man could do anything, though. Yeah, it's uh, true. Mike, Mike Patton is just... That's uh, cheating, yeah. I mean, I only found out recently he done the noises for the um, the weird zombie-like creatures on I, I, um, I Am Legend. No way! Yeah, he done all those like kind of weird guttural noises that all the fucking weird vampire things made. He's got the world record for having the biggest um, vocal range, hasn't no he? No way! I think he's got like a six-octave vocal range which is significantly more than uh, Queen, Latifah. Queen Latifah's <laughs> impressive one octave range if you read her Wikipedia for Queen Latifah it's like Queen Latifah has an incredibly impressive one octave vocal range is that someone like taking the piss I or like was it... it looks it's really... like the normal octave range for a human being just yeah. and like, it's, it's really not like you need the two to three vocal uh, octave range to... I'm showing my lack of knowledge here but I thought Queen Latifah was a rapper did she sing? Maybe huh. she simply rap talks. Maybe <laughs> rapping a, a one octave range is incredible. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But, um, God, yeah, I, I feel like this is, talking about seminal albums, like we just were with Wishbone Ash, like to add to a point you also made as well, I feel like this album has been so, so influential to so many artists. Like it's really like, this was kind of the, one of the first albums to kind of do that kind of that Southern sludgy sort of style as yeah. well. You know, like kind of popularized by like corrosion of conformity and obviously down the supergroup. Um, and 
it's just it's actually quite a diverse album musically as well like there's um and i really like the uh, the placement of a lot of the songs um for example you've got the track jezebel which is almost like a death metal track in a lot of ways yeah. it's got a lot of tremolo kind of guitar riff and some double bass work and then directly after that you've got screams of the butterfly which is one of the two Gorgeous. ballads on the album yeah and i such think such a banger such a good sign it's such a sign of a good band when when they're able to create such good music through so many different kind of like spectrums and tempos like the ballads are as good as the heavier tracks yeah and um yeah then after that you've got um <laughs> dr zeus is dead which is another <laughs> another quite furious uh an aggressive track so i think um yeah just the placement of the tracks and just the, the musical diversity i love a lot of the guitar riffs and some of the bass work is absolutely claustrophobically heavy mm. like even the opening bass hit on on the opening track the blue it's like really it's, forward and distorted yeah yeah and it's uh, kind of is is very reminiscent of that kind of production quality of the 90s you know where things are kind of a little bit muted but like kind of sludgy yeah. but also like not so full on that it sounds overly produced it's really listenable though um even now like a lot of stuff from back then i can't really get into it but yeah. I can listen to this like pretty easily. It's it's really um, it doesn't feel it's aged well. I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. See, I think that is also why I believe that it's been quite influential to a lot of the more kind of groove metal and new metal that was prominent at the turn of the millennium as well. Mm. Because an album like this is quite accessible. I think it's easy to extrapolate components from this album and kind of further dilute it and make it a bit more digestible for more to have a more of a mainstream appeal because i still wouldn't say this album has mainstream appeal it's definitely not mainstream but no. it's definitely got a lot of cross appeal amongst anybody that listens to heavy music i will say as well as a teenager finding this shit was like a gold mine of teenage angst like yeah. i don't know how old you were when you got into them but fuck me like i remember finding them and just being like Dax Riggs is saying everything I feel. Oh, I yeah. feel I feel like, you know, Dr. Seuss is dead and like oh all this all this like nonsensical like the lyrics are so fucking horrible. They're not bad, they're just horrible. Like yes, there's, there's mentions of rape and murder and taking heroin and it is definitely not um it it, it you know, it comes with trigger it should come with trigger warnings, I guess, now. But yeah, like as a teenager, you're reading these lyrics and you're like, oh my God, it's so romantic and dark and dirty. And like, it's so, I would literally walk around London in, at night, like while the sun was setting and dusk was descending and like listen to Dax Riggs and just be like, yeah, I'm such an emotional teenager. And this <laughs> is like, this is how yeah. I feel, man. This like dirty guitar <laughs> and these like horrible bass riffs and these terrible, like angry, angsty lyrics where he's like talking about love and loss and death. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> really um <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's a teenage anthem this album yeah. it's um like did you guys have that thing when you were like first getting into heavy music where you were just instantly drawn to anything that was like offensive or had swear yeah. words yeah, yeah, i was just totally. like oh, yeah i totally was, oh my god they said fuck it's like, I want to listen to this. I, I was exactly like that. Once this went down and fucked the system, I was like, oh, they're swearing. Yeah. And it's music. And yeah. it's like, it's such a weird thing to like, to just be, because I think it's, I don't know if it's just an anti-culture kind of standpoint to come from or just anti-mainstream, I suppose. But like, it's just so, I was just instantly drawn to it. And like the thing with this album was I discovered this a little bit later. So I was already quite into like death metal and um, 
some of the more extreme and sort of heavier subgenres. But it was um, it was still I still discovered it at a time early enough in my kind of exploration of heavy music to kind of be blown away yeah by it so because i think you know as you were saying it is kind of of its time mm. and i feel like a lot of this album may be lost on someone that is familiar with most music that's been heavy music that's been prevalent the last sort of 30 40 years totally but i think i'm glad i caught it at a time that it still was kind of like oh shit this is some cool stuff like i just listen to it because I, I I knew it had cult appeal. Mm-hmm. And I think I went through a phase where I was just trying to search out like cult albums and things that were like lauded. They like, didn't have like massive like mainstream success, but were like but the people that did have mainstream success. These are the sort of albums. So I'm just <laughs> sorry, just getting distracted by Shem wigging out. <laughs> he got surprised by a leaf. It's really funny. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But like a lot of the, you could tell a lot of the mainstream artists, like people like Corey Taylor, I keep name dropping Corey Taylor. I don't even listen to Slipknot. <laughs> but like you could tell he would have been a fucking, I think I did read once he's a massive fan of this album and Acid Bath. Yeah. And it's, it's always interesting to hear the albums that inspired these people that have a, a larger degree of success. Hmm. It's really interesting because I feel like if I told someone to listen to this now, I don't think they'd like it necessarily. I don't think I would like it if I just yeah. like, found about out about them now i'd probably love still love dax riggs's solo solo stuff but yeah this is like so um gritty i guess is maybe one of the words for it there's like um so yeah like on the live bootleg there's you can hear like riggs in introducing um songs and there's like the song Tranquilized and he introduces it by saying, this song is about getting high any way you do it, just kicking the earth from beneath you. And then Cheap Vodka is like, this song is about getting wasted and killing things, blood, sex and blasphemy, which is, you know, at this age, I'm like, I'm not impressed by it. Yeah. But I was back then, I was very impressed by that kind yeah. of thing. And I guess it was, you know, it's it like no one had really done stuff like that at no. that point in this kind of music. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a thing. Even though I think there is an element of kind of a shock factor to it, I think it does actually come across as really kind of genuine and earnest a lot of the time. It's more earnest than Manson, I would oh, say. Oh, for sure. Like I've, I've, I've never liked Manson. I've, he's always It's always been like very obviously considered and intentional, but in a way that I feel is disingenuous with Man- Manson. But I feel like this is legit. Like there's um, the song taobabo kumi which apparently is swahili for land of the white cannibals yeah. so i feel like again he's like going into the whole american dream being dead and yeah like i, I can't i feel like that's really how he feels he's not just doing it for commercial appeal yeah apparently that track has a music video i keep meaning to it watch does. it but i've not seen it but. it's the only music video they have and apparently there's an alligator in it which actually ended up biting someone's face in real life <laughs> oh shit <laughs> yeah According to the guitarist Sammy Duet, so I don't know if that's true, but that's a thing. Do you think a surname would be pronounced Duet? I've always wondered that. You would think it was Duet, duet. right? Because I suppose around that region, they've got kind of that French kind of Bayou sort of connection there, right? Duet. Duet. Oh no, brain blankness. Fuck's sake. Southern. Cajun. Cajun, Cajun, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, a lot of it is, like, the southern accent is actually French slowed down. It's a slowed down French accent. 
Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's the same with, I think New York is that with uh, Italian? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a B right next to my head. Yeah, yeah, the, you, can, you can hear the Italian. That's quite evident in the New York accent, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of accents are Quarty. actually just like different speeds of the older languages that were spoken in the region before, or like immigrants and things. Yeah, because it's, it's funny, actually. It reminds me of, um, I watched that horror film, The Witch, but spelt V-V-I-T-C-H. Whoa. So the Vivich. <laughs> We're totally edgy, man. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> but no, it was, um, you would hate it because it's a horror film. But, <laughs> it's, would, um, yeah. but it's got Ralph Innocent in it, who is like a British actor who's been, it was in The Office and it was in Harry Potter as well. Um, I dread to mention that term, that name, but, <laughs> but he was in it. And... Um, they he, they've got really strong northern accents, but they're like they they they're playing like early settlers, uh, like British settlers in in the states. And I can't remember which state they're in, but yeah, yeah, it was New England. Yeah, of course, New England. Um, and um, and it, it turns out historically, yeah, they would have had those like strong northern accents at the time. Yeah, and it's just interesting to think that some American accents have morphed from like those those dialects we're more familiar with. Have you read like Chaucer and like old and Middle English? I'd study Chaucer, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like proper Birmingham style accents and shit. It's so fantastic. I actually think um, old English is fucking beautiful. It yeah. sounds like Elvish, but you can totally hear accents, like regional accents in the in the voicings and spellings. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we done the uh, the Canterbury Tales. So oh, they're so saucy. I love them. Yeah, I went to watch a live performance as well, and some dude flashed his ass during one of the first. Um, <laughs> I can't remember which one it was, but it was uh, quite entertaining. I went to see Shakespeare at the Globe when I was at uni and there were like kids in the crowd. I can't remember, I think it was King Henry, Richard, one of the fucking king ones, the one with Faustus in it. And um, yeah, there's like a, at the beginning they did like <coughs> the what they would usually do historically and there was like a guy with a giant penis and a woman and he's like, he's got this like big penis prospect and they're like kind of dancing around and the ladies are like, ooh, and it's just like really fucking sexual, suggestive, like not even suggestive. Yeah. It was ridiculous. That sounds wild. It's very Shakespearean. I do love that. There's so many dick jokes in Shakespeare. Yeah, I went to watch a. Um, so it just reminded me of a time I went to watch a production of Hamlet, and it had um it had someone from EastEnders who played um Angie Watts, <laughs> Dirty Den's wife. I'm show my age here, but um, but um, I can't remember her name. But uh, anyway, it was um obviously the first line is most pernicious woman, and the <laughs> and the actor actor's voice cracked on the first line <laughs> so me and my friend chris spent the entire fucking two-hour play yeah. trying not to fucking laugh it was like most pernicious woman and i was just fucking in we were in tears so chris wherever the fuck you are like i still remember that night that was that was and that the english teacher would be looking over to us and i like our shoulders are just like going because and it's that whole nervous thing again where you know you're not meant to fucking laugh but That's fantastic. his voice broke so bad like it was, it was hilarious that so is, good. Honestly, I had this moment at Bloodstock where I I have this rule where I never talk to the crowd. And I was like, Bloodstock, I was like, okay, I have to say thank you. Yeah. Because everyone was being so fucking cool. So I was like, okay, I'm going to say thank you. And I remember looking at the microphone and I had a moment where like, I, I was like, I don't know if I can speak. I don't know <laughs> if I can say <laughs> words. Yeah. And I was genuinely terrified <laughs> of saying something. And it just, that happening of just being like, thank you. <laughs> like, oh, like, <laughs> like just not. I mean, so come out I, of my mouth. I would have rated you so hard if, 
like at the beginning of the set, you went, hello, and smoke him. To- Sorry. <laughs> I was so tempted. <laughs> Honestly, it's so tempting to just say that, yeah. even though no one else will know what I'm talking about. Just be like, hello, and smoke him. Oh, oh God. Yeah, should we get back to uh, acid buff? Acid buff. There's one thing I wanted to mention on the point you were making about, um, we were talking about the lyrics and stuff being earnest and, and things, and it's and the track Dope Fiend, which I think the subject matter is pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, there's a line where he's saying, oh, you know, why do, I, why do I feel so high and why do I feel so dead? But he's actually kind of like like talking it or whispering it in a way mm-hmm. that he sounds like he's legitimately high yeah. and legitimately vocalizing his thoughts at that time. Like, do you know what I mean? And I think that just adds to the whole like honesty of his performance on the album. And he gives, it's a very fucking varied and good performance. Like his clean vocals are so kind of like, mournful and yeah. sorrowful and like and really like quite musical as well and like and the harsh vocals are great because they're not like um i think we talked about this before i think we were talking about this with grave lines actually mm. well like you know they're not too comical because a lot of times in harsh vocals especially in black and death metal they could be so over the top that they yeah. lose the aggression and the authenticity but obviously he's got like a real kind of like genuine kind of like scream and like it's still i'm sure it's still using false chords false chords and um it's got some distortion um but like it just sounds really fucking clean and the backing vocals are great as well i don't know which member of the band does the backing screams but they're really fucking like brutal and piercing as well but it's just a great like gamut of styles across the whole album it's so expressive i totally agree i did my thing where i take a paragraph of lyrics um from my there is a lot of like really interesting imagery and like metaphorical (coughs) contrasts and stuff in the album that I really it's like very typical of how Dax Riggs writes his other lyrics and other projects so I took something from the first song because it's like the least depressing one I guess but it kind of also pretty accurately conveys like how he'll go from one extreme to another like really quickly so I'll read the verse um he says I have fallen deep in love with the sky fragments of a sunbeam glaring on a kitchen knife Leaves will fall as everything must follow. Kill your idol, come on, jump into the void, eat my cold shit. <laughs> Dax Riggs. Do you know, it kind of reminds me sometimes of um, J.R. Hayes from Pig Destroyer. Yeah. He's got a similar thing where he's like, well, he'll just hit you with... Sorry, we've got seagulls flying away at the moment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a Voices album cover. <laughs> it's... um. Give it a second. Yeah. So like you there's like that combination of like kind of like poetry and like you know like a vagueness to the lyrics, but it just hit you with a blunt line. Yeah. Like I think the you can hear and there's the lyrics to that track, um, Go in the Slayer Jacket, which is so fucking brutal, man, and so unsettling. Like it's if you read the lyrics in the story that he's like portraying and then just listen to the music, it just goes so well hand in hand. But uh, but yeah, I get a similar vibe from sort of Dax Riggs here, so I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if J.R. Hayes was a little bit influenced by that. Um, one of my favourite tracks on the album, actually, is um, the second instrumental, The Bones of Baby Dolls. Yeah. Which is another great, it's got really beautiful kind of like acoustic passage and also really soulful vocals again. And this is the track where I can really hear like the... It's a kind of vocal phrasing that I would presume might have influenced System of a Down. I know what you mean, yeah. And it's... Um, it's like staccato and like really weird emphases on, on words and, yeah. and lines and things, yeah. 
and there's a bit where he comes in with a clean sung passage and it's but it's really distorted and it was quite cool to hear like what should have been a really what should have been quite cleanly produced but was actually done in a really kind of filthy and fuzzy way and there's just loads of cool like production sort of little tricks and moments like that on the entire album especially in the music as well that it's just kind of throws you for a loop there's so many moments that you wouldn't expect to have happened whether it be like a faster kind of like blast beat section a tremolo section or just some straight up like kind of like bouncy like almost new metal style riffs like there's so much variety on this album but all under the same kind of like sludgy veneer yeah it's gorgeous i really really love um how i just forgot what i was gonna say <laughs> sorry oh my god <coughs> i have a total mind blank. <laughs> well on the um on, on the topic of disturbing lyrics i think the last track has got some pretty fucked up lyrics as well cassie eats cockroaches. oh those are the worst they're, they're the worst right I, I was so disturbed by the lyrics of yeah. that song it was really he's talking about this girl cassie and sleeping with her and it's horrifying it's 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 like really explicit and like it's like whoa he's talking about cutting her with his uh you know what yeah. <laughs> we say a lot of words on this podcast but i'm not saying that <laughs> one <laughs> yeah it's just it's like really um it's really horrible to read and like i he's kind of like playful with it i guess and it's not like i want to hurt women but it's also like he's aware on some level that he is hurting women and that he is like what he's doing isn't right and how he's viewing this woman isn't right, but he's still objectifying her. Yeah. And it's really fucking horrible to like, yeah, it's like comparing his body to a weapon. Yeah, it's, and that's the thing. There is a, cause there is that juxtaposition between the, the bluntness of the lyrics and it, almost the vagueness to them sometimes. Cause there's a lot of people that think Screams of the Butterfly is an anti-abortion song. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a, obviously, like most lyrics, it's open for interpretation. I think a lot of artists will deliberately not explicitly say what song's about so people can get something else from it. Mm. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see people's different interpretations of that particular track. And, and there's some people that think it's to do with um, a young girl that was abused when she was younger and impregnated at a young age. And But, you know, it's so it's, 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 I think that's a sign of him. He is quite a talented lyricist, obviously, yeah. despite the vulgarity and extreme extremity of some of the lyrics. But like, it definitely is, definitely evokes something. Whether it, even if it's not always a positive thing, it evokes something like a visceral response. I think from the listener. I think that's a really good point. I think that's something that a lot of people miss when it comes to their own what they're doing with their own art, because Riggs isn't like doing it for the hell of doing it. He's always making. He's doing it with a point, but he's not, he's also veiling it. He's also like trying to get you to find your own way through his art and take yeah. what you want to take away from it whilst also hoping that you're going to take a, maybe a particular message or, you know, it's not the end of the world if you don't. But it's also like a lot of people will see this and be like, I'm going to talk about rape and murder and, you know, doing this to women. And, yeah. Oh, abortion, haha, murder. But I feel like Riggs is doing this from like a very um, educated isn't the right word because that comes across like, oh, you've got to be educated to say such things. But he's doing it from um, he's he's thought about it. He's not just doing it to like elicit a response and become popular and and get like some kind of um, extra money or crowd or whatever. He's like legitimately concerned about particular things. And this is how he's expressing them. And it's like very. American, like, you know, Bukowski and Hunter S. Thompson. This is, like, very common 
for those kind of authors and he's taking it to music now i think that's one yeah. of the first steps into music that you you hear that being done yeah totally and it's like you know using the manson comparison again like you know i feel like manson was very machiavellian in his yeah in his tactics and his lyrical subject matter where i feel like this is coming from a place that is far more sort of sincere or, or just in the interest of trying to create good art yeah um, and I think obviously it shows because it's such a seminal album, it's such a highly respected album. Um, and yeah, and I think obviously it wouldn't have worked either because I feel like we've, we've talked a lot about Dax Riggs and his lyrical content and his vocal delivery, but it totally would not work at all if, if the music wasn't so fucking good. Right. And like, and there's just so much good riffs on this fucking album. Like it's super, you said it before, like it's really accessible and groovy at times while still being really heavy and then really beautiful and melodic at other points, which is just a great sign of a band that can incorporate that many different kind of emotional flavors into their music. Definitely, and it's also really uncomfortable. It's all those yeah. things are making you extremely uncomfortable, which I think the kind of discomfort it provokes is the kind where you're um, like thinking to yourself, why am I enjoying this music? And like, which bits of it am I enjoying? And you, you have like uncomfortable, um, confrontations with yourself when you when you listen to music like this and I think that's really important and I think that it's a really delicate line that this music treads between being inappropriate <coughs> and kind of serving a almost like psychological purpose where you listen to it and you're like fuck me like this poor Cassie man like you're not like well hey you know he's cutting Cassie like a knife with his dick it's not <laughs> like that yeah um, no it's it's more like fuck like yeah why is it that misogyny is like so openly embraced and women are treated this way so often and, and Sheb is fighting with bushes <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah it's um it's a really interesting album I think it's an interesting band I do tend to come back to Acid Bath every so often I'm just like whoa I don't remember feeling this way about it when I was a teenager when I was a teenager I just openly embraced it and I didn't have those thoughts um but it's cool to grow with this kind of music and go back to what you were enjoying but i do still feel that like teenage like i i can see me 20 years ago or have a have a many years ago as a teenager i don't fucking remember yeah and and, and like um yeah i can like see myself and look back at myself and kind of give myself like a nod i don't know i don't know if you get what i mean yeah i get that i get that when i listen to a lot of music i was into when i was younger um like, even though, like, I'll, I'll use Corn as an example. Like, I think some of their lyrics are super fucking corny, man. No pun intended. <laughs> um, and, like, but I l listen back to it, and there's still that part of me, and I recognize that it's no longer really who I am, but I'm just yeah, like, yeah. It's yeah. like, I totally dig this shit. Like, there's that track, the really, like, quite harrowing one, actually, Daddy, from the first album, which is, like, t it talks about him being abused by his babysitter. Oh. And the lyrics are very like forward and brutal, and it's got actually got him crying on the track and stuff. Oh. And it's like it's um, there's like loads of reaction videos of it on YouTube of people listening to it for the first time and just being completely traumatized yeah. by it. But it, yeah, so there's still a part of me that will listen to like a track like that and be like, yeah, I remember being a teenager and listening to this for the first time and thinking, whoa, this is like some real shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's some fucking brave shit. I didn't know that was even the case. I didn't know that about that yeah. track. And, it's, and it was like that on their earlier albums when they were, well, I mean, f to put it bluntly, a bit more fucked up on meth. I felt like they were a bit more kind of cerebral and putting shit out there. And then, you know, once they kind of became, you know, super successful musicians, they started doing stuff like that. You all want a single track. 
Y'all want a single say fuck that. You ever listen to that? I like ever listen. The lyrics are literally, y'all want a single say fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Wow. It's really bad. Wow. Imagine wow. going into the studio and being like, okay, here we go. That's yeah. wild. Cool. But yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying about like the whole kind of, there's there's always that part of me that that is imbued by nostalgia. Yeah, it is really nostalgic and it's super romantic and melancholic. It's gorgeous fucking music. Go and check it out. Yeah. It's a really interesting album to have next to Wishbone Ash because I think Wishbone Ash influenced a shit ton of like really successful metal bands. <coughs> And I think Acid Bath are like, again, a huge influencer and a lot of like sludge and doom and metal. Yeah, a lot kind of, yeah. You're absolutely right. <laughs> like Wishbone Ash influenced like all the preppy, like really clean <laughs> yeah. metal bands. But this influenced all the fucking degenerates <laughs> and just, yeah, just filthy, sludgy, messy. Yeah. But I do love it though. Oh, it's and, fantastic. It's and, a really important album. Yeah, and you're, you're absolutely right. What, what, what strange albums to review side by side, but like it, it works in a way. It does work. And um, yeah, like also got a shout out to my favorite Acid Bath song. I think, I think Scream of the Butterfly was the first one I listened to. I love the weird way it says butterfly. Yeah. Scream of the butterfly. <laughs> but then um, I love Dead Girl. That It's not on this album. It's on Pagan Terrorism Tactics. It's yeah. a fucking anthem. That song is beautiful. When death sleeps, he dreams of you. That's such a cool lyric. And as I was saying before, I still have not listened to their second album, so I have to check that out, which is crazy, but I need to jam it. But I've listened to it once before, but it was a long time ago. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to hear your take on it now. But should we move on to a completely different thing entirely? One Witch... The album Wolf Hex. So what did you think of Wormwitch? Because I know you've kind of, you're slowly losing faith in black metal. Again. But I mean, this is a... The second time. Kind of a hybrid black metal sort of thing here. This is a... Yeah, I was listening to this and I was like, I was like, oh, fuck's sake. But then I was like, oh, this is, I thought this is blackened. I think I, if I can stomach this in, with the idea. I feel like it's blackened. Yeah, so the thing about Worm Witches, I mean, they're listed on the uh, on the Holy Grail of Old Metal Knowledge Encyclopedia Metallum <laughs> as a crust black metal sort of band. Okay. The f- first album is kind of like crusty black metal, black and roll. And then their second album, which was dropped in 2019, which is a really good album. Mm-hmm. It's um, oh, fucking it's to heaven. Dwell within. I think oh, it's the one with the the artwork on the cover, right? Yes, it's really beautiful artwork. Um, yeah, I think it's Ophelia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that album actually incorporated um, a bit more of kind of like a crossover fusion of styles. There's a bit more kind of like dissection mm-hmm. at the gates esque. So a bit bit yeah. mellow death melded like in with the black metal, metal riffs. I like the death metal, black and death metal aspects. That's like kind of the sweet spot for me when it comes to this kind of music. Yeah. yeah. And there's very, um, I think there's very few bands that could kind of blend those styles well. Like, and this is another band that they've got elements from different genres. Like, there's some, there's some tracks on this album. Like, let me pull up me notes. Yeah. Perhaps just some straight up trad riffs. Like, um, yeah, like Hammer of the Underworld, a great track. Uh, so that's got like a, a traditional kind of um, a mid-paced black and roll immortal style groove to begin with. Yeah. But then it just picks up and does something that wouldn't be out of place on like a midnight album. <laughs> like it's a bit more kind of like speed metal and trad metal. And, you know, there's there's loads of things going on, but it's all under that blackened kind of blanket. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did like it. I, I came I came in, you know, I took me a long time to get back into black metal. And then I was like reminded why I I I don't get into black metal. Um, but this is actually fantastic. I really liked it. Um, I, it was really fucking catchy. 
there were some really good riffs. There were a few moments where I was like, why? I mean, there's like a bit at the beginning of, um, I think it's the Wolves of Ossery, where it just sounds like someone's <coughs> fucking dog is barking. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I literally thought it was like the neighbor's dog yeah. being all yappy again. It does not sound like, maybe it's a wolf hunt or something, but it just, it, it took me by surprise. I wasn't into that, but it's a fantastic track. Yeah. The rest of the album is great. I really fucking love um, the guitar tone is really good. Yeah. The vocals are like really kind of anthemic, really easy to listen to. It's like super easy to listen to. I will definitely go and listen to this again. Yeah. I would definitely listen to this on an angry stroll commute through London. Yeah. When you've got like a half hour walk to get somewhere and you want to get there and you're like, fuck all the people in my way. I'm going to listen to some angry music and like stop the streets because um, that sounds yeah. so lame, but it's that's, no, that's that, that, there's, this is definitely the soundtrack for that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, just like a nice mid paced angry stroll. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just got to do that. Um, I really liked Leering Crystal Effigies. I fucking love the song name. Um, it reminds me of the book I'm reading at the moment, which is The Stormlight Archive um, by Brandon Sanson. So, yeah, it just reminds me of, like, some of... I don't want to kind of do, drop a spoiler, but there's something in those books that I really fucking think is cool that reminds me of that song name. And then I don't know what's going on with Canadian Denim Mountain Attack. What is that about? Um, I'm guessing it just is what it is, I suppose. I suppose funny. that's just a pretty... pretty I, I like that it's tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just actually just an, a representation of what their music is. I mean, they're Canadian. I guess it is. They probably wear denim and then they, yeah. They'll they... attack you in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I kind of like that they're not taking themselves seriously. I really enjoyed that. And the Metallica cover, I hate Metallica, love the Metallica cover. Sounds really good. Better than Metallica. Yeah. It's some, oh, geez. That is going, to, that is a spicy take for a lot of people out there. <laughs> oh, love Metallica. Me. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's an interesting song to cover because obviously it's their first song. It's the first song on their first album to hit the lights from Kill 'Em All. Um, but yeah, it was a good cover actually. I'm, I'm not big into covers, really. Me neither. Most of the time, I do like Def Def's cover of Painkiller. Oh, that was amazing. That's like an exception to the rule. That yeah. uh, Johnny Cash covering. Oh I'm, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that oh, that's not even a cover. That's just like a reimagining. They should just give it to him. They should just give <coughs> no, him that song. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. there's a few more that I'm missing that I can't think of at the time. But <laughs> so, "Spirit" by Taurus, um, the the well, song that okay. Led Zepp. I think I think they should just have that. I think Led Zepp should just have that song. See, I've I've not listened to the Taurus song, but I've seen a video comparing uh, the two. It, they're identical, and it is very fucking yeah. similar. It's so similar. Yeah, they blatantly lifted it, but I think they improved it significantly. And so. and you know that Verve song, "Bittersweet Symphony," the one where he's walking down the street barging into people. Maybe. I think they think Rolling Stones claimed that the orchestral aspect to that song mm. is sampled from one of their earlier tracks. That's interesting. So they own the rights to the track, and wow. he and the I can't remember the the guy from the Verve's name, um, but he. Richard Ashcroft. That's it. Yeah, he only got the rights back recently, so now he now owns the rights. Damn. Poor guy. The, um, He's not going to get shit from it now, I don't think. And it's funny because that's like their biggest song. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, they had that. And what was the other song they had that was semi-big? Was it The Drugs Don't Work? Yeah. Quite a big one. But yeah, but I mean, Bittersweet Symphony was played everywhere and on commercials and shit. So yeah, so sucks to be him. <laughs> but no, and in terms of um, Worm Witch and this album, um, yeah, I really, really like this album. I sometimes... I really like to listen to albums that are just accessible and not too long. 
I think this album wouldn't work as well if it was a good 20 minutes longer because taking out the Metallica cover, it's, it's just under 30 minutes. So it's about, and there's an instrumental as well. So there's probably about 27 minutes of music here. I think that's just about right, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And it just works so well, you know, and I'm, I'm a big fan of um, Immortal and I don't think they get enough credit just due to um, sort of a bath being a bit of a, a meme and a bit of a... A silly man. A, a, a joke, yeah, a silly figure. But yeah. like their music is legitimately sick, in my opinion. And like they've done a lot to kind of present a, um, not a commercial, but like a, a digestible form of black metal that people who are not so entrenched in the scene can enjoy. Like the wholemeal bread of black metal. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. I don't know. They also laughed at fucking. Oh, they did laugh at Faust. Though. You know, I I didn't like Did that. They? You know, and, and until the light us. takes you, you us, like yeah. I forgot about that. Jesus, okay. Yeah, there's an interview that where off, where like <coughs> they're talking to a bat and the other guy. Don't fucking. Demonaz. Yeah, about um, Faust killing a gay person. I think I don't. I can't remember if it was the guy with a bat, but someone's like, "Oh yeah, I heard he killed a fucking faggot," and they just start laughing. It's fucking horrible. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like I need to watch until the light takes us. Yeah, that's, that's why we're like, we're cringe. not reviewing yeah. it because yeah. it would just be me being like, well, I hate this band now. Yeah. Oh, well, well there you go. But I'll tell you another band will much remind me of. <laughs> who I do love and I do know are cool guys are enslaved. Oh, yeah, they're cool. It does sound like early enslaved. Yeah, There's some proper yeah. like frost enslaved moments. Did you listen to the album, Sam, there? What do you think of it? Did you like it? <laughs> and then I said, why can't we review more death metal? I hate black metal. And then we listened to the album, and then I said, it's not that bad. Yeah. And then it grew on me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well... I personally love it, and I, I love all the um, I love like this kind of style where it's a bit more crusty, and like I said, it's a bit less serious. Yeah, um, it's tongue in cheek. They're hopefully not racist as a result. No, I mean, where, where are they from? They're, they're Canadian. Canadian, so I'm they're, they'll be, uh, yeah, It'd be they're funny Canadian. if they weren't. Yeah, because I remember because at the moment, I mean, Canada's kind of killing it well, with spectral oh, wound yeah. and um, and they got and, and like yeah, Luke LeMay, legend. Mm. It's um, but this band, they are actually signed to Prosthetic Records. I like Prosthetic; they're a pretty safe label. Yeah. So I feel like this is a band that has got some uh, industry backing, which is well deserved. Because I yeah. feel like um, they're going to be one of those bands that has that kind of crossover appeal, but like a Behemoth kind of thing. Like they don't sound like Behemoth or Behemoth, however you want to pronounce it. But it's that same thing where they're the sort of band who I feel like people who are not necessarily fans. Of black metal would would in, still enjoy a lot because they've got enough components in the music that would appeal to your casual kind of metal fan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's really easy to listen to. It's like very black and rolly, I guess. Yeah, I love I love how when you describe like crusty black metal roll, I'm like, hmm, that sounds delicious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the first time you said it, I was like, is that food or is that a genre? Uh, yeah, crusty black and roll. Yeah, I suppose it does sound like something from. Some fucking bakers in the arse end of nowhere in north of England. Like a fancy charcoal burger. You know, those weird charcoaly black burgers. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, um, it's funny, though. That reminds me of that meme where it had, like, four pictures. And it was a picture of an alleyway, a oh, roll. Yeah, I know the one. And it was, like, a, a, it was like a, a, a biscuits and gravy. It was, a, it was, like, chips and gravy. Yeah, it was, it was, like, four things where, like, it was the four items that regionally there is... It's so divisive. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that alleyway 
alleyway and roll. I didn't realise it was such a thing because it was at the end of a loaf of bread as well, wasn't it? Well, this is the thing. This is where I this is where I lost a lot of people because I've always called the end of a loaf of bread a healy because that's that's a Dundee term for it. But is it supposed so it's like to be the heel? heel. If you read a book, I think the term is a heel of bread. That's the end. Yeah, it's like the crusty end, the <coughs> the bum of the. I always call it the bum. I call anything that's the, <laughs> the end ass. of food. I call it the bum. <laughs> the ass of the bread. <laughs> the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, yeah. I think most people call it crust, right? Yeah, we call it healy. It's not as accurate the crust because all 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 bits of the bread has crust. So if you're like, please sir, give me the crust, they'd be like, well, what you want me to just shave off the entire loaf? Like, no, you want the heel. The crust is the best fucking bit, by the way. So people oh, that... No. I like, oh, the, I like soft... What? I like soft bread. <laughs> well, you get the crusts. We get the soft bit. I don't know. I, don't. I think that's the first time I've ever disagreed strongly with Shem on anything. I'm actually genuinely disappointed. Well, it does mean if you want to make a sandwich, you're happy and he's happy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I suppose so. We're going to have to spend two hours just listening to enslaved in silence. Just to... <laughs> Just, just to get over this rift. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> so now you're eating soft bread and I'm just eating loads of crust. You got like an elbow on your knee, you're just like slowly eating bread. Like that's an amazing image. Oh. But no, yeah, back to um <laughs> shaking with anger. I almost said back to spectral wounds. We're not even reviewing spectral wounds. Just, just this, this bread debate has thrown me off. Back to a worm witch. No, I really like this album. Their whole discography is great, by the way. Okay. The album before is really, really good. Um, like I said, it's got more of a, more of a dissection at the gates, kind of Gothenburg-infused element to the riffs. But this album is kind of bringing it back to that kind of crusty, really groovy, kind of DB sort of... There's a lot of good drumming on this album. Like like I was saying with the Wishbone uh, Ash album, it's really great to hear a drummer that doesn't overplay. Yeah. And they know when to fucking use the double bass pedals and then when to bring it back to like a D-beat style, kind of hardcore style beat. And then, um, you know, cymbal work, ride cymbals, crashes, all that sort of jazz. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, yeah, and that's also why it kind of reminds me a bit of Enslaved, like early Enslaved. So I feel like the drums in Enslaved have always been amazing. And I've always loved everything about that band, but it's got that... It's got enough of a groove to it, as well as that kind of that icy soundscape that is so mm. prominent and revered in black metal that it just it just sounds so fucking sick. That's the best way I could put it. I'm so impressed when musicians are so good at their instrument that they don't feel the need to overplay. And like when you're playing with someone as well, you you can really tell <coughs> they're a really amazing musician when you can see how much they're in control of their instrument. Yeah. And they're not letting it get away with them. They're able to, like... I remember seeing Jason Roder play with Sleep. And his fucking use of Dynamics Live was incredible. Because usually a drummer live will get really excited and they'll just go fucking mental. And it's impressive. But yeah. Roder was, like... He was allowing everyone else in the band to do their thing. And everyone else in the band is good enough that they're, allowing, they're making space for each other and communicating. But it's just so... It's, like, honestly driving alongside a Rolls Royce when you play with a drummer like that. Yeah. Where like you can see them like making sure that you've got your space and everyone else has got their space and, and they're also like just controlling the drums in such an interesting way. It's so it's so wonderful to watch a good drummer. Yeah. A hundred percent because like you know you can always tell because um, it's, it's it's less about at times about the technical ability and more about the ability to keep time. Yeah. 
And like, you know, there's so many times I've seen a, a live band. <laughs> it sounded like you said tentacle. It did, it did. <laughs> did I say tentacle? Tentacle. I had the same. I was like, I was also like, did he even Well, to be fair, that? some fucking drummers have an almost like tentacle ability to play drums. It is so true, it's yeah. a somewhat apt. If I did fuck up that word, I thought I said tentacle. Normally I catch my fuck ups, but. You probably did, but it sounded, yeah, it sounded like, tentacle. like tentacle, yeah. Okay, we'll go for tentacle then. <laughs> But like it's, um, I've seen so many live bands where you could tell the drummer is fucking struggling. Yeah. Like they are sweating and like they are like uh, like half a beat out sometimes. But like it's, um, but yeah, there's sometimes there's just some, I've been trying to, one of the most impressive drummers for me is um, the drummer from the death metal band Origin. I don't know if you've ever listened to Origin, yeah, but so oh, so good. I'm not like, I've, I've said before in the past, I'm not super, super into tech, tech death. But um, tentacle death metal. <laughs> but, um, I've been to that. <laughs> but uh, I, mean, I mean, this dude is a fucking octopus on the drums, like, and right. he is super on time. Like, he is in the pocket and he doesn't break a sweat and is pay- playing the most ridiculous shit. So it's, um, yeah, yeah. I love drummers. Drummers are sick. <laughs> drummers are very good. Adore your drummers. Hold them close. Um, yeah, and obviously David Gray, backcocker, fucking insane. Oh, good drummer. Blast Vader. Blast Vader himself. Yeah, he is just. Oh, watching! I love that they do the drum cam thing, where you can just like yeah. go and see him, like his hands blurring because they're moving so fast. It's insane. There's that clip that went viral recently as well of, um, you know, um, Dave Grohl of Foo Fighters got that girl that went viral oh, on yeah. the Nandy. I haven't seen it. She does all the drum covers, and she had like a drum off with him, so she Aww. came on stage to play Everlong. So that was quite a sweet moment. That's so wholesome. Isn't yeah. that nice. He's a good guy. I mean, Hopefully. well, until he gets bankrupted by the uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> never, never mind, mind baby. baby yeah sue them for everything he's got god can you imagine you just like shoot an album cover and then 30 years later you, you get sued by your own album cover <laughs> yeah, yeah wild but it's um do you know one thing i want to say about worm witch and this album is that at times it reminds me of um we we're talking a bit about goat whore reviewing the acid bath album but like it reminds me of them in the sense that they're also a band who i think are so good at blending those styles in a way that it's palatable because it'd be so easy for it to become a mess. Mm. I think that's also why I like Enslaved so much because I wouldn't have thought Black Metal and Prog would have worked at all. But they do it in a way which is just totally like fucking majestic. And same with like Goat Horde. They've got the whole weird like Southerns kind of Nola kind of sort of vibe as well as like the Black Metal and Death Metal parts. And this band's kind of doing the same with the whole crust punked, crust punked, crust punk. You've been crust punked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cross Darth Punk aspect of it, but yeah, it's uh, no, just really impressed. It's a really good and yeah, just a, a really fun and easy to listen to 30 minute banger of an album. I think after the intensity of Acid Bath and Wishbone Ash, this is a really good antidote. Yeah, there's no like, um, like all these, all those things are good about all the bands, but I just like that it's you know, there's you don't have to go in with like loads of heavy thinking, and it's just really relaxing, it's really fucking fun. I would love to like you know work out to this album. It's definitely a good, good bit of aggression that you, yeah. you need you know here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Darn Tootin. Darn Tootin. Yes. So I think um, I will say I love the aesthetics. I love the cover. I love the logo, and I like the cover of the second album as well. It's yeah, really, it's great. Really yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 It's like heraldic. That's a cool cover. Oh, one point I was going to mention as well that's just come to mind that I forgot. Talking about Goat Hogs, I was thinking about the guitarist, Sammy. He um, uploaded something seven months ago of him performing some Acid Bath tracks. No way. 
live and he like he must have streamed it. I don't know if it was streamed on Twitch, oh, but it's on YouTube now. I, I saw the video. I've been meaning to watch it, but awesome. all the comments are just like, yeah, it's amazing because it's like first time for a lot of people have ever seen the music performed wow. in that setting. So, so that's probably worth a watch. Yeah, I would love to see that music like in the room where I'm in the room one day. Live, yeah. that's the word. Um, <laughs> that would be really cool. I, I highly doubt it would happen. Like, it's always been a dream of mine to see Dax Riggs play, but he doesn't. He plays like an occasional pub in like America sometimes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And even if he lived in America, it'd be be very. You find it very fucking hard to attend that. Yeah. I mean, because it's probably going to be yeah. Like it's twelve hours away. Yeah. It's always funny when I see. Um, <clears throat> If I speak to Americans or hear them talking about going to gigs live, and says, "Yeah, oh, I've got this local venue. It's just a six-hour drive away." And thinking to us, that's traveling to the other side you of the country. You could just go to the sea. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> any sea front in England is six hours away. It's crazy. Yeah. So, and it just shows that, especially us living in, um, not living in and near London, it's just so spoiled for choice. Oh, when so gigs return like it's just. We'll go to gigs in Brighton now because it's like it's like a two-hour drive, but it's uh, like. I really prefer going to gigs in Brighton. It is really nice. Brighton's great. I, mean, I fucking love Brighton. The atmosphere is wonderful as well. The people in Brighton are so fucking lovely too. It's yeah. just, I honestly, we should just all go to Shout it. Out <laughs> Shout out to Brighton. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brighton massive. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so yeah, one which are fucking great. Like, love, love the. I'm looking forward to see what they do next. It's nice to find some metal that is blackened that I like um, that doesn't have some horrible thing attached to it so that's fucking nice yeah. I think it will translate really well live as well I'm, 100%. Qu- I'm quite intrigued to see if this, this band tour which are signed to prosthetics I'm sure they'll be on some package I wonder if they play tour a little some tour point. with like pupil slicer or something that'd be nice oh yeah they're on prosthetic aren't they yeah yeah. yeah. it's um, but yeah no doubt once things get up and rolling again they'll be part of some tour I could see him probably touring with someone like Black Dahlia Merger or something like that being added Ooh, on to it. Ooh, that'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. That'd be lovely. Yeah, I think, you know, this is really, really good sign. Um, things are pretty healthy at the moment in terms of music. We're, we're doing yeah, there's well. been some great new releases this year. Um, yeah. I think I might have saying earlier, I was jamming the new Turnstile album. Nice. Which is cool. I'll let you guys hear some of that afterwards because it's, a, it's yeah. cool shit. There's a really great single that 1914 just released, which has uh, <coughs> from Paradise Lost on it. It's really fucking good. Go check it out. It's on YouTube. It's a really nice lyric video of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great track. Let me get the song title up. It's so good. It's so good. It's honestly gorgeous. Yeah, like yeah, the guitar uh, tone on it is really nice. Yeah, it's And Across Now Marks His Place, featuring the uh, the hilarious Nick Holmes of uh, Paradise Lost. And, hilarious. So, it's, he's literally hilarious. His stage banter on stage is normally... Is no, yeah, it's legit. He's he's like Macaraka. 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 It's getting excited. <laughs> Sorry, but it's like I've been watching, um, what's that movie called? Fucking um, the Mars. <laughs> with, with the Martians. Mars Attack. Sounded like one of those Mars Attack Martians. At. <laughs> but no, it's, um, he's like Michael Ackerfeld in the sense that uh, his... Um, his stage banter is like quite dry and just it's just really amusing to watch. Um, but yeah, no, so he he does a great guest on this track and it's a really good track actually. Um, so I'm super super hyped to listen to the new 1914 records. Yes, we'll have when that dropped that. and they are touring at some point eventually in the UK. I believe they it got are. postponed, but I think there is still plans for them to come. I think it's either March or April next year. I'll, I'll fact check that. But yeah, when they do, it'd be great to have them on here if we can. Uh, oh, totally, can. that would be amazing. 
yeah it'll be very cool yeah i think that concludes it unless there's any other tidbits and uh now i think i'm done my, my, my throat is super dry so i'm gonna ah. go in there acquire some h2o hydrate hydration is important thank you so much for watching everybody thank you for listening feel free to like and subscribe we're on facebook and instagram tell us what you want to hear from us next uh, we're on youtube spotify all those cool apps twitter we're on twitter as well sorry i forgot that most important sphere of uh, social media yeah it's uh fucking nice to be able to do this, this is our 30th episode who would have thought we'd do whole a whole 30 episodes <laughs> it was like that um meme the hot ones one who would have thought it? Not us. <laughs> Not us. <laughs> anyway, we're out. Thank you so Till much. Till next time. Peace.